Everybody, and welcome hello <laughs> to the art of whatever you made it sound like if we're renting a haunted house hello everyone hello. welcome to our i was waiting for the harmony so i was doing the low one hello hello, hello. <laughs> i can't sing everyone can sing uh, yeah that's what my teacher would that's what uh, our professor would say Everyone can sing. I'm just embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, you know, if Dylan can do it, if that's Bad a good point, Bunny can do it. Did you say Bundy? <laughs> Bad Bunny. Oh, Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny. I don't know. Bunny could sing. Ted Bundy can sing. I'm no. sure he can, or he could. If you said everybody could sing, I'm pretty sure he could too. Uh, I guess so. I yeah. <laughs> I have to I have to follow my logic now. Okay. Yeah, the, this is the uh, uh, music and arts podcast where we loosely talk about history. Very loosely. Very loosely. Not in the way that we're inaccurate. I thought it was gonna be like in the way that we're like loose. Like what? <laughs> you know, like like we're not tight bodied. <laughs> not not tight bodied. <laughs> is that what you meant, Carlos? Oh no, no, I meant you know, like no, no, I meant like sexually. Oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know what's funny when you said music and arts podcast um, at the at the store I work at back in the day, we used to work with a company called Music and Arts, and podcast? they would, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, it was basically they would send us instruments and we and we would rent them, uh, okay. I guess for them, you know. But yeah, that was the name of the company, Music Arts. <laughs> so when you said this is a music, this is a music and arts podcast, I was like, ah, uh, yeah, they're still around. They just work with another store. Uh, so you guys aren't the cool ones anymore. Well, you know, like when, because that was my first round at the store. Uh-huh. And when I came back, or when I went back, they're like, oh, dude, we don't work with music and arts anymore. So, like, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, we don't have to worry about Because uh, we used to, so let's say someone came by, right? And they're like, oh, I'm renting blah, 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 camp. Uh, oh. Or blah, 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 instrument, I mean. So we would have two stocks, the music and arts uh, stock and our own stock, the Olivas music stock. Mm. So we would have to find out first which one they were. And then if they were Olivas, you know, that was easy because it was all in-house. Okay. But if they were, uh, if they were music and arts, we would have to get on the phone and then do one of those 1-800 ones and then, you know wait there and they would have they would have the elevator music playing for the longest time and then they'd eventually pick up and you know and like right you were like staring at the customer the whole time right because you're like this like oh yeah 
uh, yeah, yeah, they'll pick up right now. Oh, and then they eventually pick up, and you go through the whole thing, right? The account number, name, la di da di da da da. Of course. And it used to be a hassle, especially when it, when it got packed, and then to have to be there waiting, staring at like thirty people, really waiting in line, and they're like, you know, looking at their wrists and stuff. Oh my I mean, god, but- that's. That's my at that hell. point, you, you could be like on the phone and be pointing at the customer who had you call. Be like, it's his fault. It's him. <laughs> I don't want to be doing this either. But yeah, I mean, since since we don't work with them anymore, you know, uh, it's all you know the our own stock, so it's all mm. in house. Cool, cool, nice. which just makes it easier. Has anyone gotten their vaccines yet or their appointment? So, not yet. I'm going to do it soon. Um, I just know right now my allergies are killing me. Like, it's around this time last year that we had done the, that I had done the one on Brian Wilson. And I took Benadryl and I was kind of like looping oh, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. Are you going to be doped up this time too? So, this time I'm not. I took the Allegra in the morning. So, I'm okay right now. But I feel like, it, like since my allergies come on really strong by the evening, it kind of wanes. So we'll see what happens. I think I'm okay right now. Like I, I shouldn't have to take the Benadryl till later. So it's like this cocktail of fucking allergy medication. Hopefully I don't like be the first person to OD on Allegra. <laughs> but damn. No, but no, that's okay. I just take allergy free day. though. Allergy free, exactly. Uh, but we'll see. Anyway, point is no, I haven't gotten <laughs> the vaccine. I, I need to sign up soon though because it, it is really a pain in the ass. Um, no, but we've been looking into it because um, um, Eddie's best friend actually took it or, or got it. I, I don't know how long ago, but they got the first dose, and they and we haven't seen them. We haven't seen them like in a year, and and so like after they took it, they're like, "Hey, like when when do y'all want?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, so they are ready to go into the world. Like, hey, I'm ready. Are you? Yeah, that basically, and uh, I, uh, I mean, we like I said, we we've just been kind of, but it's just kind of like like what they did is that they did it through through Walmart, I think, and basically they just had to like literally refresh the page for like twenty minutes mm-hmm. to like find a spot, and we're just yeah, it's kind of what that. you have to do with the with the UMC one that I was uh, telling you guys about. Oh yeah, uh, but these go these go fast, dude. Like in ten minutes, you know the registration is closed because every spot has been taken. Yeah, because like vaccine, PS fives, and Xbox are like the scarce thing this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I guess it's a good thing you can't like physically go and grab it because imagine like all the trampling and like. I heard some oof. dude I don't know where oof. like try to steal like a shipment of vaccines or some shit like that. <gasps> What <laughs> I, I forgot where I heard in the news that he I'm, I'm not I don't think he was gonna be robbing hooding it either I think he was just stealing him to sell no. him or some shit. Oh, I was gonna say like what for himself, but I mean he was living out like his most you know Christopher Nolan movie life I guess. That just remind that reminds me of like I don't know if I told the story before, but there was a last year sometime like in probably April or May, um there was a truck it was when like the the toilet paper was really scarce and stuff. Toilet paper shortage of 2020? Uh-huh. Yeah. And there was a truck coming into town. And apparently it rolled over. 
with like this like huge shipment of toilet paper. I don't I don't know why that seems so funny. Like I just pictured all this toilet paper all over the <laughs> Well, road. actually I think that's what happened. It like some of it like fell out of the truck. So it was just like <laughs> on the road. That's hilarious. So the road just got teepeed and shit? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. So how was your guys' week? What'd you guys do? Um, well, um, just usual work stuff. Of course. Uh, yeah. Um, I've been a closer. I, I'm not used to being a closer. Uh, I don't know. I, it's, it, it's not that bad. Um, I think I, I think eventually like I'm going to start getting used to it. Of course. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been all good. How late do you get out? Um, it, it just depends on, uh, on honestly how long it takes us. It should take us about half an hour, uh-huh. but, um, wait to answer your question. We should be getting out at eight. Ah, okay. A lot of the times we get out like eight thirty, sometimes nine. Uh-huh. So oh, yeah. not too bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, we start closing at seven thirty, so <laughs> that's like, <laughs> it's like, well, maybe that is a little bad. An hour and a half of to just close. closing. Yeah. Closing shenanigans. Yeah, pretty much. Carlos, is that a poster of Conan O'Brien or Christoph Waltz behind you? It's uh, it's a painting. Oh, it's, yeah. Chida's made. It's Conan. What? Oh, it's Conan. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's Conan and then Mingus. Nice. Yeah, it's Conan. Yeah, with the NBC background, like the. the I don't know if you remember the black and blue square looking things oh i thought it was like the uh the peacock oh yes i think i know what you're talking about yeah nbc dun, dun, dun. is it that like a sixth or something like? sixth it's because yeah. that's the like <laughs> like that's one of my um one of my like that was one of my dreams when i was in school i was like i wish i could perform there one time but then you know, he's not there anymore so <laughs> yeah <laughs> So now what do you got? You got uh, Colbert? Oh, oh well, uh, you know what? I don't watch, dude, I don't watch Late Night at all anymore. I mean, I, I catch the clips on like, YouTube. Like, not even Conan, dude. Yeah, yeah, but it's not the same, you know? Like, I used to be on, uh, I used to be, uh, you know, like, every time, like, in, during high school, you know, that was, like, my ritual. Watch uh, The Simpsons at 10, and then I don't know what, what was between the Simpsons and whatever was next, and then wait till eleven thirty for Conan. You gonna watch what was the other one? Jay Leno, I think. Yeah, but I never saw Leno. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. never a Leno person. Yeah, yeah, Leno was just kind of. Eh. I think I was too young for, you know, like it was a generation. I see. yeah before I me. Yeah, I was about to say he's he, he was our parents. Um, well, I don't know about my parents, but I'm not sure about my parents either. But I know what you're saying. Like that generation's like, but but like that generation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, freaking <laughs> my parents was like freaking uh, Adal Ramones, uh, Derbez, and uh, Jorge Ortiz Pinel. Yeah, to an extent. To an extent, yeah, yeah, but definitely Eugenio Derbez was my dad's guy. La Escuelita, Andy. Laura Pico. Uh, do you guys remember Lente like Lopez? kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, dude, like a, like a, the last time I hung out with Chidas, he was like, remember that girl that used to come out on there? 
like all that. And we're like, yeah, Luis Garcia. And we're oh, like, yeah, shit, that's right. <laughs> we're just thinking, but yeah, we're just reminiscing about all shows and like Fuera de Serie. That, which one was that one? You don't remember Fuera de Serie? The one where um, Sofia Vergara came out on. Oh, that was like oh, her first. With, uh, like Fernando Fiore. Fernando the, Fiore. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, was like, it was like a, it was like a travel show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That. It was a travel show. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that. I remember and Fernando then, Fiore. Uh, control and control and the uh, caliente. That where the people would be dancing like dancing always in, on the beach, some beach right? somewhere. And it's always like some salsa group. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fernando but I mean, no, yeah, we're reminiscing about all those shows and like, uh, I think that was it for all oh, that. Remember that other one? It was a sketch show too. It used to come out on, on Univision, uh, Bienvenidos. I think I remember that. There was one. this guy yeah. that would always play this, like this kind of chaplain looking skinny guy that there was like a streaker. He would always. Uh, oh, like, yeah. That was remember. his gimmick, like in the sketches. He had, he had his hair all like. Like, uh-huh. like all crazy, right? All poofed up and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would just go like that. He, he, super uh like uh crazy laugh like ah. dude, it's like a <laughs> just, like, like, it's kind of disturbing if you look at it oh yeah i mean if you look at it through 2021 eyes yes it is i mean like i'm looking at the picture of him he looks like a fucking a ghostly weird like mixture between charlie chaplin uh, like the the marx brothers like the groucho marx and then He's got like fucking Home Alone hair there. <laughs> like when he just got shocked. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know. I'm sure two two of those are. I'm sure two of those are on point. <laughs> I want to show you the picture I'm looking at, but I'm not sure I can like drag a picture into this chat conversation. Dude, you said Bienvenidos. That took me. That took me back. Like I, I just kind of. I remember some of these creepy ass looking dudes. Like I'm, I looked some of them up. This takes me back. <laughs> And then, oh, dude, there was another one. There's a guy here that looks like that we Pero, used to work uh, with. But this one came out on TV Azteca. Remember uh, Puro Loco? Puro Loco. Let me see if I remember. Because if I see him, I'll remember. Um, see, I remember I, I remember all these titles or all these names. I just can't remember, like, off the top of my head what, like, what they look like. So now I have to look them up, too. <laughs> Oh, this one I remember less. Yeah, I remember the like the logo of the show was a was a, a screw going it's into a, sc- a bolt. Yeah, it's a so, screw, uh, right? And know, it's all colorful. I'm not. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess a little bit more. Oh shit! It's that like that lady right from um? Is it her? I might be confusing her. Uh, I forget her name. She comes out in La Familia Peluche. I thought I thought I saw a picture of her in the cast. No, I think that's, that's another, another lady. lady, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, I, yeah. I think I, yeah, I think it's a different lady. Yeah, no, it's, it's but it's I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, I I know who you're talking about though. Like like the one that not 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 the La Familia Peluche one, the one from Pueblo yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, I know exactly. Who yeah, you're exactly. About. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember Peluche. That one was that one's more recent though. I feel like that one's still like. Not like it's not nineties TV. Yeah, that was like two yeah. thousands already. That was already in two thousands. Yeah, exactly. That was, was two thousands. Exactly. That was also another network. So. Yes, that's also true. That was a funny show. 
Damn, that yeah. took me back. Sorry, my hands are so numb, okay. dry, wet. Yeah, yeah. All of all of the above. Yes to everything. <laughs> everything. All of the above. That's my biggest pet peeve, like at work too, because we have to wear gloves. I see. And they tend to get very clammy, <laughs> so they make fun of me for like oh, struggling yeah. to put on gloves. And I always tear them. We like, have to wear them too. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But uh, we only well, like we'll wear them when we're going outside with the customers. And, oh yeah, you know, we'll toss them, and then when when we go back outside, we put on another pair. Yeah. I mean, we do we do that. We usually have them on all the time, though. But like, we'll we'll toss them out whenever we, um, whenever we do like cash transactions. Or oh my god, this is boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, like everyone, yeah, it's like yes, we know we've been living it for a we've year. We've been living in this pandemic for <laughs> Get a year. On with we've it. seen all of you guys do it. What about you, Tony? What have you? How's your week? Me? Why is the 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 the, the shift focused? Well, you well, because um, you asked the question, and well, well, no, my my week's been very calm. I mean, I've, I've been no, not calm because I've just been busy with work. It was slow for a little bit, like maybe like a week and a half, week ago, but then all of a sudden it picked up. I haven't had to go out and survey, but I've been working from home a lot with uh, this other thing, and it's it's been kind of a pain in the ass, but. Um, just that. I mean, been doing that. I've been here at home, just chilling, yeah. you know, dealing with allergies. Um, I think that's about it. It, it hasn't been exciting, like, at <laughs> all. Like, I feel like... I mean, who's had an exciting time? Exactly. Oh, I've been writing more music a little oh. bit more, so that's something. Yeah. 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 What What have you... What's... But, like, what, um, what have you been working on? Uh, just a couple of stuff here on my own, you know. Uh, it's because uh, like uh, my girlfriend got me a resonator guitar. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! One. So I've been just like uh, playing on that, and kind of like you know when sometimes you get an instrument, the inspiration hits, and you're like, oh yeah, and then boom. So every once in a while, I'll just be like, oh wait, I got an idea, and I'll go record it or fucking you know write it down or something. Right. And be like, okay, boom, and it's kind of just there, saving up till like the inspiration strikes. Yeah. Again. But yeah. I don't know. Should, should we move on to our, you know, the portion of the actual show? I don't know. Why do yeah, I'm trying not to sound so yes. sarcastic? Oh my god! Anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. Well, so uh, Carlos, you actually go would go first today. Why? <laughs> I just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> no uh yeah right, it, it's it would yeah it would be your turn this time all right it's okay i have like two two different notebooks and a website opened and it'll just be getting my yeah hydration nice <laughs> Did you pull that out of a bag? Mm-hmm. It's a four-pack. Oh, okay. Nice. I thought for some reason I thought it was like wrapped like a burrito or something. Oh. <laughs> I really thought it was a burrito. I really thought that's what it was, but anyway. <laughs> All right. So um I was 
Well, we're still, you know, in March, so there's still a little bit of time. Uh, since it was a Women's International Women's Day, and I, I think March is a month, also, right? Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about a woman that um, is considered. Okay, so it, it gets murky. She's a uh, um, pioneer of uh, electronic music, but um, oh, I think I know who you're going to talk about. Yeah, probably. And then, um, but not for um, I guess a certain sector of electronic music, not for not for house music or like Detroit-based, you know, late seventies, early eighties music. Because mm-hmm. um, that's one of the um, discussion points, I guess, with with uh, people that try to bring up her name as uh, all encompassing. It's like, oh well, you're ex- uh, she was an influence for you know people of color in Detroit in the again late seventies, early eighties that mm-hmm. developed uh, um, house music, but. Uh, the name of this lady is Delia Darbyshire. I don't know. Is it who you thought it was going to be, Marsh? I-, I thought it was going to be somebody else. But I was who it is because... Oh, okay. I, yeah. The, yeah, I, I, I'm probably going to talk about her next... Uh, whenever my next report is, which I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm next uh, next week or... Wh- whenever it is. Yeah, yes. the next time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, quick, quick run through through her life. Uh, she was born in May 5th, 1937 in Coventry, England. Um, the And then she lived till July 3rd of 2001. Again, she passed away in England. Um, by, by age four, she was already um, teaching classmates to read and, and write <laughs> and do some like basic. So she was, you know, she was a smart smart uh from the get-go you know i guess she was um she uh eventually you know went through her school years uh she got accepted into oxford and cambridge and she chose to go to cambridge on a math uh, scholarship not even music she was going in for mathematics and then um yeah, no, I mean it is. Yeah, she 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 mentions that she did bad, bad, like badly in her oh. with math wow. in college. Oh man! And he, and so she, um, even though she did bad, she was actually um, she developed or she was part of the of a team that developed the theory on on uh, the mathematics of electricity mm. which i mean for someone that does bad in math i guess you know it's one of those cases where like if you're not interested in a specific thing you're like nah i'm right i'm, I'm not i'm not even gonna bother <laughs> yeah no, but, sure. uh, yeah. uh after one year uh with math being her her focus, she decided to to change her her career. She went into music instead, 
1959, she graduated with her bachelor's in in both math, math and music. So even though she didn't concentrate on math, still her degree was math and music. Um, mm. She specialized oh. in medieval and modern music. She she also uh, <laughs> so, was damn. That's so like uh, like big yeah space. yeah from one end to the other. You know what? I honestly think that has to do with um, you know, well, uh, going back to one of your earlier reports, Mars. You know, like Hildegard uh, von. Mm-hmm. Bingen, 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 Bingen. Oh, there we go, Bingen. You know, medieval times. I'm guessing there were more women, and then you know, there. I'm sure there was like a decline towards the classical, romantic periods. Well, I don't. I don't think it's because there was more women. It's it's more the fact that just it's just honestly her influence, just how influential she was. As just as a person already, I mean, she worked. She she was part of like a, a monastery. I don't even remember, but she was, you know, okay. like I mean, she was a religious woman, so like, um, she was yeah. a cultural I mean, figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. But yeah, so uh, Delia Derbyshire. Um, you know, another funny thing: her her last name is spelled uh, like Derby. You know, like roller derby, but in the documentaries I watched, they always pronounce it Darby Shire. So, oh, oh I thought it was gonna be something but, like yeah. So in Derp, case, like Derbshire or something, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, me too. <laughs> but it wasn't until I heard it that it was like, oh, okay, so that's how you say it. Uh, and uh, besides her her math and music degree, uh, she was also a licentiate of the Royal Academy. In piano performance. Oh, cool. Uh, so she was a, a pianist as well. Post college, she applied for a position at Decca Records, uh, you know, legendary label, big label, especially back in those days. But uh, they rejected her because they said that uh, they didn't accept women, you know, at all working in the oh, record industry. Of course, what? Really? <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> I mean, they weren't really doing anything to hide that back then, right? They're just like, oh yeah, no, no, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that—that was—that was the reason she was giving. Given you're a woman, and we don't hire, we don't work with women. So after this, uh, she worked as a teacher of music and math at the um, the uh, Geneva uh, convention at Geneva, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah, at the Geneva Convention, <laughs> there was a little section for teachers. No, no, at Geneva, um, she it, it was basically a government job. She would teach the children of of all the politicians that would go into uh, UN meetings. There, um, she would teach the well, especially work with the British uh, the British representatives' family. Mm-hmm. So she would teach their kids math and music. Yeah. And uh, she stayed there for another year from 1959 through 1960. 
then she uh, moved up, worked as an assistant uh, to the head of International Telecommunications Union. That union was basically an agency of the UN that um, facilitated connections between countries. So let's say, you know, the U.S. has its phone network. Uh, Europe has its phone network and they would work to have connections made there so that you can make like your long distance calls or right now, you know, the way you can connect from here to, uh, you know, a British website or to the BBC if you want to watch some show or something like that. You know, that's uh -huh. basically what they would do. They, they would promote uh, connections and, and telecoms between mm. countries. And then she stayed there just within the same year, 1960. She, she went into the BBC looking for work. She got hired as an assistant studio manager. And uh, she worked a magazine program. It's, even though it's not, you know, what we know as a magazine, that's what the show was known for, uh, known as a magazine program. Mm. Um, it was named Record Review. And the, the, it was basically a show where uh, critics would review classical music recordings. So, you know, if you had, mm. like today, Lang Lang recording Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, or, well, I guess now, Beethoven's whatever piano concerto. You know, mm. they would review those sort of records. Yeah, and you know, she was that, the, whatever the, the manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, dude. I couldn't come up with the name. Yeah, the, the Moonlight Sonata then. Oh, no. <laughs> and and even though it's not a concerto, eventually she expressed interest in joining the BBC Radiophonic um, Workshop, which was basically a group of people that made all the incidental music for radio <laughs> shows, for TV shows, for even music for for um like what what we find now let's say when we the, the song mars puts at the front at the end of the show that you can just get from oh, okay. a pool of of Why open license like music <laughs> <laughs> who says it was yeah, me so who they basically would create okay right. <laughs> they they basically cre created that uh or added to a library of, of open license music where people could just be like, oh, you know what? I have this show. I need this sound. Let me get this sound. And uh, so she was working there at the Radiophonic Workshop. Uh, she was uh, assigned there in 1962 and stayed there for 11 years. During, uh, during this time, um, this is when she had her most fertile period. This is when she was constantly composing or uh you know just coming up with music for either again shows radios uh movies other other uh works that would just come by her way um she she collaborated with uh italian composer luciano berio which is another um he wasn't specifically electronic music but um um 
similar to to Cage and that it was more incidental or more okay modern music her this is when she came up with her most recognized or most famous piece of music which is an arrangement of the Doctor Who theme the original Doctor Who theme from back in the 60s really yes the theme itself was used from 1963 till 1980 and it was the the actual um composer she wasn't the actual composer she was the one that did the arrangement of, mm-hmm. the, of the music what what year what year was this and 1963 oh, okay yeah so i mean and it stayed on for was it what is it 13 years that's a long time the actual composer of the piece uh his last name is grainer uh, the actual composer tried to give her credit co-writing you know co-arranging credit but the bbc didn't let them and this time it at least from what i could find out it wasn't it wasn't because she was a woman it was more that the bbc didn't want anyone to know that that specific department existed the the radiophonic workshop so whatever music they composed, you know, it never had written by so-and-so or, you know, composed by so-and-so. It was just, here it is, and that's it. Was there any reason why they didn't want... You know, they, they don't specify. They, they don't specify, but uh, I'm assuming, well, I'm assuming some way or somehow money is involved there, you know, royalties. And since it was a group... I'm guessing they didn't want the the ego battles either. Like you know, oh, I wrote this and it's done this much. I'm better than this. I see. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's that seems too. more reasonable. Yeah, I mean, that seems more reasonable than to have yeah all that ego, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> she did end up getting. Um, I guess everyone knew that she had composed it at some point, but uh, publicly, the BBC hadn't like recognized that uh, or her specifically till nineteen. I'm sorry, till twenty thirteen, for the fiftieth okay. anniversary of the show, where in the in the credits they actually put her name on the credits, uh, arranged by Delia Derbyshire. Actually, I think I went and saw that special in theaters. Oh, I've never, I've never seen Doctor Who. I've never been a Doctor Who uh, it's, person. It's it's super super fucking uh, nerdy. It's it's sci-fi to the sci-fiest, and it's fun. It's just, you have to have fun with it. And like good sci-fi, like good horror has a, a good amount. Like I think has some amount of cheese. You know? Oh uh, yeah, it's definitely the case with with uh, Doctor Who that it has a good amount of cheese. And that's mm-hmm. what kind of makes it. It doesn't take itself too seriously because of that, but it, it's fun. I, I, I haven't seen it since at least a few years ago. Uh, I, I left. I was left behind two doctors ago. But anyway, not the point <laughs> of this episode. Continue. <laughs> oh yeah, but again, it's her biggest uh, or her most recognized uh, work. So makes sense mm-hmm. that we talk about it. So she um, wasn't credited till then. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, not 
not formally mm-hmm. because people started finding out stuff about her and there were you know right right shows shows as well documentaries or or uh um pieces written about her yeah but publicly formally on a, on the tv show it wasn't until 2013 so that being her you know most popular work her her uh most uh, praised work by critics and uh, one of her favorites personal favorites it was a, a work called for inventions for radio she worked with a playwright a british play, playwright called barry Bermond, and basically they uh, wrote the music was a collage they would interview people on the street and ask them questions about philosophy, about religion, about, you know, just philosophical questions on life. Mm-hmm. And they would take the, the, the answers and mix them in with, with uh, the music that she would make. At the time when it aired, it apparently got a lot of criticism from people just regular people that would call in and say how how can you ask these questions to <laughs> to these lay people that don't know anything about anything damn this is a little um, harsh i know <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like elitist of elitists and shit yeah dude like for real for real and now we have jimmy kimmel asking people on the streets about like if they know <laughs> i don't know something random <laughs> What's the capital? Yeah, something about the Constitution and blah blah. Yeah, something about the Constitution. <laughs> You're welcome, Jimmy. Kimmel. Exactly. Your, your What's the capital of your state? Okay. <laughs> Austin. I was like, wait, what is it? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and and she would the way she would work. It was through tape. So let's say um, she would play a note on the piano. Mm -hmm. She would record that note, put it on tape, distort it. And then if she wanted to make, uh, let's say, a chord, she would have to cut each piece of tape and then lay it. And, you know, it, it wasn't like Pro Tools cut and paste kind of thing like she would literally have to get the tape, get the knife, cut here, from oh, here to shit. here. If you mess up, record the whole thing all over again just to cut that little piece out again. <laughs> Whoa. That's so extra. <laughs> so so essentially she'd be recording a note and then she'd play another note on top? Well, because th- well, this was back in the 60s. Mm. Yeah, basically she would... She would have to pitch up sounds, you know, with the tape. She would like make it go faster to pitch it up. Right. Uh, oh wow! If you look at, I mean, you know the way you see old synthesizers, and it was like this massive thing. Well, imagine that, but like a whole room filled with all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And she uh, sounds kind of fun. I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm, at that point, you had to be some sort of that. This is where the math comes in. Because at that point you have to be some sort of engineer uh, to be <laughs> to be messing with all this stuff. Right. I, I don't think it 
I don't think it could have been just a, a, a regular musician, even like not even Mozart or Beethoven, you know, yeah. or whoever could come up with this stuff, you know. Okay, they're, they're, they it would be more like, like give me that stuff once it's ready for me to play. Exactly. So they would be more on the performance side, whereas she would be more on the R&D side. You know, she would actually okay. come up with the instrument, come up with the whole thing. And then once that oh. was, I guess, I don't know if commercially available, but more... Um, User friendly, then that's when you get your yeah more accessible so performers your exactly. MIDI your synthesizers that we have yeah. now. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Although she didn't work with synths, she didn't like synths. This was all tape. Uh-uh. Any particular reason why she didn't like synths? She said they didn't sound uh, human enough. They sounded too fake. Oh wow, that's interesting. That's interesting because, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, the thing is, she was, whenever she would get her sounds, she would get her sounds from things that were around her. Mm -hmm. And then she would manipulate them. But with the synth, you know, it's like pure sound. And then you break it down to give you different uh, overtones and arrangements of that sound wave. Yeah. So she didn't like the, the fact that it was fake. She wanted to use stuff that was around her and everyone. And then, so in 66, she, she um, joined up with a co-worker of hers named Brian Hodgson, who also was there at the workshop. Um, and another uh, person named Peter... Sinoviev, who who um, actually uh, this Peter person actually was a synthesizer developer, kind of like the way Robert Move was, and they set up they set up a group basically or a band if you could call it that. The they were named Unit Delta Plus. And they would create and promote electronic music, basically. Uh, one of these performances was at a, a show that I find found out through research. Was very was a, a big show in the way that what uh, Woodstock was for rock music. This would be like that for electronic music, and oh, okay. and so you know. Keeping it within uh, scale, you know, it was uh, it was also smaller. And inside, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, the The name of the show was called uh, "The Million Volt Light and Sound Rave." Notice the word "rave" already. Damn, sixty-eight, uh -huh. sixty-six. I'm sorry. Damn, and in that same uh, show, this is. And this I didn't know either. Apparently, there's a, a Beatles song named Carnival of Light that had its one and only public presentation there at that uh, event. By the Beatles? Apparently, apparently, McCartney tried to release it, and that uh, 
the Beatles compilations, the ones with the what is it, one, two, and three? Yeah, I think so. The I ones so. with the, the Beatles yellow ones and, like and orange covers. Yeah, the one you have right there behind you, Tony. So apparently he tried to release it, but the record company said nah. <laughs> uh, nah. Nah. And apparently this is when McCartney was really into the avant-garde and he was hanging out with all that side of the the English uh yeah. you know intelligentsia. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I was literally about to say that. <laughs> So, you know, M- McCartney is the the one who wrote that piece and you know, he he was really into electronic music. And uh but yeah, apparently the piece never was never heard just because it, it wasn't a piece to be performed, you know. It was again electronic music back in the day. It was probably on a tape probably and just you know push play and yeah listen to it i guess i guess you would call it the beginnings of the album or as the form of art rather than the performance right yeah yeah exactly um in 66 you tony you're the beetle expert what where were they doing what period are we on 66 beatles wise uh I think that was when they were working on Sgt. Pepper's. So, like, that, that, I guess that would carry into that. Let's see. I'll tell you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, with Revolution Number 9 and all that stuff? That, that's a little bit later. So, like, um, Sgt. Pepper's was released in 67. Um, okay. So, if anything, you know, they were, they were maybe working on, um, on, like, Revolver or something like that. So, they are, I guess, beginning to, to, to head in that direction as the, as the album. Because they had already quit touring by this point. All right. Well, yeah, you know, there's a little connection right there between, uh, yeah, Delia and McCartney. What I find interesting is that you know the Beatles were like the again making it accessible for everyone else. You know, they were all they had the mm-hmm. they were popular. They had the voice. They had the power, and they're like, okay. I like this kind of music. Let's do this kind of thing, and then that's how you get get it uh, going other places instead of just staying in England and you know no one hearing about it. I see. Yeah. Those dogs are really into this. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, Unit Delta Plus um, broke up within the same year, actually. Is that better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you hear the dogs anymore? No, no, no. Yeah, it's good. Now I feel like yeah. I've like put you on the spot for that. <laughs> I, sorry, I, sorry. No, no. Continue. That's fine. We live. It's live. This is live, baby. <laughs> um. So a uh, year after, in '67, Unit Delta Plus disbanded. Um. They had a couple more performances. The last one was at the the Royal College of Art. Again, seems fitting, you know, the kind of music that comes up in in colleges or academia or whatever you want to call it stays within that mm-hmm. realm. Yeah. Um, eventually, she would team up again with with Brian Hodgson, and they would set up Kaleidophon Studio. 
um, along with another musician named David Borhaus, and they produced electronic music for theaters. They would produce it for movies, uh, the same way that the the Radiophonic Workshop would do, but they they were doing on on their own. Mm. Um, and this is all while she's still working at the BBC. She hasn't, you know, she's still there. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, they eventually yeah. came up with an album, uh, an album called White Noise, and uh, actually, I'm sorry, White Noise is the name of the group they formed, and their their album was called An Electric Storm. They uh, also contributed again to the same library of music. It's called the Standard uh, Music Library. Incidental music, movie music. Uh, radio music and um, during this time she would use the pseudonym pseudonym of Lee de la Rus Lee de la Rus so I guess she would get credit but under that name instead of Delia right um she she would uh, work on music for a uh, 1967 production of Macbeth at the Royal Shakespeare Company, which is like the Shakespeare Company. Mm-hmm. Um, she would also uh, score uh, some TV shows and movies, some of them being uh, Work is a Four-Letter Word. Um she would perform at the Roundhouse, which was a, a club for electronic music. And uh, she would provide music for fashion shows for the student uh, students at the, at the college. You know, whenever they would have their showings, she would write the music for it. The runways. And this is all electronic music. This isn't, you know, this isn't your regular I guess singing standard singing guitar, bass drums, kind of deal. Yeah. This is, I guess. Well, I mean, especially for the time, you would say, out there stuff. I can't even imagine yeah. what a runway like that would look like at the time. But not nonetheless, you know, nonetheless, yeah. She she kept working, uh, for for theater companies again, fashion shows. Uh, she worked with Yoko Ono. On a short film called "Wrapping Event," wrapping as a, like wrapping paper, and she wrapped. As and she uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> and she's wrapping. Well, you know, in '73, hip hop was coming. You know, was yeah building up already, but uh, <laughs> this is completely unrelated. <laughs> uh, and in '73, she left the BBC. So that was her 11-year tenure. Continued to work on music, and she she was working less and less, but she was working with people more in in, in the the arts, especially visual arts. Um, She worked with with an artist named Madeline Hoykes, and uh, Elsa Stansfield, they're both visual artists. Um, the little research I went into them, you know, they're they're installation pieces more than more than paintings or sculptures. You know, you go and it's a whole experience. I don't know if 
you guys have been to um, Meow Wolf here in uh, I haven't had the chance Santa Fe Santa Fe well it it's sort of like that it's a whole building there's a lot of uh, things with light and with sound and it's not so much that you're staring into a, a frame it's more that you're within like you're within the artwork I guess right right after working with those two the she completely went off the the musical map so to speak really um there's contradicting stories but apparently she um in 74 she moved uh she moved towns from london to a town called cumbria within england still and she she just left uh, the whole music life altogether. Apparently, she worked as a radio operator for for a gasoline company. Um, she worked as a gallery manager. She worked as um, as a librarian. And wow. during this time, uh, her her partner at the time. Uh, Clive Blackburn, who was another visual artist, he says that she still wrote music, but it was just for her. She never released it publicly or let anyone use it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, in um, 2001, she started uh, collaborating again. She was getting ready to collaborate with uh, a musician and producer, again, a British producer named uh, Peter Kember, who's known as Sonic Boom. Uh, How old was she, Dito? Let me see at this point. She was born in 37. So, you know, by 2001, she was already 64, about 64, 63, 64. Yeah. Um, she wasn't, I'll say yes. you know, she wasn't as old as you'd think. Yeah. No, she but apparently all that time that she went away from, from music, she was, oh, uh, she became an alcoholic basically, but oh. a functioning one. And, and so, uh, she developed the cirrhosis of the liver and she had other health conditions so by the time uh, she she started working uh, publicly again, um, she actually passed away before finishing that uh, collaboration uh, and okay. in 2001. And eventually the music got released and there was a, uh, her estate basically donated all her recordings that she worked on during that time the the that 80 through 2001 period to the uh, university of manchester where they have a, a an archive of all of her stuff mm-hmm. there's um little description here that i have on the side so eventually when she passed the the BBC released some tributes and stuff like that. There's actually a really cool documentary on... It's like 20, eh, 25 minutes long. 
on YouTube. If you look it up, it's called Dillian Modes, like her name, D-E-L-I-A-N Modes. And it goes into, you know, basically what I just did, an overview of her her uh, career. But uh, eventually the, um, the BBC released a statement uh, in which they said, uh, she worked in different styles and moods, slaring, squelching dance beats for schools radio or shimmering ambient soundscapes across documentaries, as well as playful reinventions of nursery rhymes and aggressive mashed up industrial rhythms. If she was the first composer, um, no, I'm sorry, she was the first composer at the BBC to show that radiophonics could be beautiful. She was unafraid to be unsettling and menacing. That's basically the statement that they released. Mm. Um, and now a lot of people claim her as an influence. Um, Aphex Twin, uh, Chemical Brothers. Let me see. I have a list here of people that, that uh, well, McCartney. Mm. Um, she, um, I guess, key pieces from her work, if you want to listen to them uh, on YouTube. There's her favorite piece that she ever wrote. It's called Amor Day, which I guess, you know, Amor, like in Spanish, A-M-O-R, and Day as in God. Oh, okay. D-E-I. Where she creates D-E-I, yeah. Mm. Um, she creates chords and sounds from the recording of uh, a Choir Boy. She recorded this blown choir boy singing and then she did that whole splicing thing that we talked about before and created this whole soundscape with that um, is that the piece that you're talking about or that one you mentioned i mean that that was her technique oh one no 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 i mean you know oh okay but, i see yeah oh yeah but amor day yes it's a single mm-hmm. choir boy and then she used that splicing and cutting up technique and then made the whole piece out of that oh okay uh, there's another one. There's another one called Blue Veils and Golden Sands, which was used for a, a documentary. And this one she made using a, a lamp. Apparently, her favorite instrument to use was a, a lamp, a metal lamp, and she would just hit it and record the sound, and then yeah. do her whole uh-huh. magic. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and and the Doctor Who theme, you know, if you want to listen to that, um, uh, again, Pink Floyd, uh, Portishead, Kronos Quartet, uh, Cosi Fanny Tutti from Throbbing Grizzle, uh, AFX Twin, Chemical Brothers, uh, like these are all people, bands, musicians that that uh, claim her as an influence on them. And after listening to uh, definitely with Pink Floyd, well, because I guess that's uh, the band I've listened to the most. I honestly can't say I've listened to Aphex Twin or Chemical Brothers. Mm -hmm. But like with Pink Floyd, you can definitely hear that kind of stuff, especially with uh, like Atomic Heart of the Sun and those really long and trippy songs. Yeah. And that's basically it. That's my 
my uh, short bio on Delia Derbyshire. Yeah, that was very good. Like I, I never, um, I never heard of her before, and that 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 really kind of that, that was cool, man. Yeah, me either. Actually, it was. Yeah, I'm surprised I've never heard of her, especially since since all of these, all these bands and you know are so influenced by her like that that mm. we've heard of at least of course yeah if, if you see the documentary or interviews with her like do i it's like the i guess it's what you or at least what i picture a british person sounding like it's like so proper the way she speaks but a lot but at the same time it's really? like so light and bubbly and it's like it seems like she's always happy mm-hmm. but like her diction is like on point <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i knew at some point um mccartney had like how you said gotten into those really uh avant-garde artist social circles and i know there was some amount of uh what do you call it i guess resentment from lennon or something because he was over there being like oh i'm paul mccartney and i'm doing this and he's really just like i don't know i, I just know there was a really yeah, yeah, resentment yeah. something mm. somewhere as there always is <laughs> But yeah, like I, I, I never knew it reached to that point where he was actually participating in like to this degree. You know, I just know he was getting influenced by that at the time, which kind of, I guess, helped to lead to things like, you know, Revolver, uh, you know, I guess Revolution 9 later on and some of the, the stuff they would do in, in, you know, Magical Mystery Tour, Sergeant Pepper and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's for that side of the music just because among the uh if you watch that documentary i told you about if you scroll through the com- comments like one of the first ones is is making that point of like yes we get that she saw this and all that but you know like this never influenced uh the black side of uh of electronic music so, so I just wanted to make that distinction at, on the front end. Of course, of course. And I guess again now at the back end, just because, yeah, it is an influence for EDM, but a uh, specific side, I guess. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. I'm glad you made that distinction. <sighs> okay. Well, I guess it's my turn. Mm-hmm. So I, from the beginning, I had talked about how I wanted to... It's a bit of a cheat. I'm not going to talk about what I was going to talk about. <laughs> um, mainly because I didn't know how to like properly like make a story out of it other than just like talking about like anyway. But from the beginning, I have I had said that um that I wanted to uh redo one of my original reports cuz I wasn't very happy uh-huh. with it, I guess. Um, and I figured that, you know, like a year, I would probably like be like, you know what? Like, it's been a year since we started. Maybe I can just, I can redo it again. Um, well, it's past that year. Um, and, and I, okay. and I had, and I had gotten a book specifically for this, but I kind of forgot about it after a while. And, um, and then I realized I had it. And I was like, well, I guess I can just do it without reading the book. But anyway. So I'm basically going to talk about, um, like I said, my very first report, which is about the Ride of Spring. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be so repetitive. Um, I don't know how much y'all remember from the first one, but 
so I I tried to like I kind of wanted to wait after that, but then I was like, no, just 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 do it because yeah. Anyway, I guess I'll just talk about a little bit about Igor Stravinsky, who's obviously the um, composer. He was born on June seventeenth, eighteen eighty two, in Saint Petersburg, Russia. Um, his father, his name was Fyodor Stravinsky. He was a bass um, opera singer and. His mother was a, ha- a homemaker. Her name was Anne Kolodovskaya. He grew up um, learning, just like playing playing piano, um, like in his school days. Um, and he studied music theory and he studied composition as he grew up. Um, his parents wanted him to be a lawyer. And he did study for it, but he kind of didn't, he realized that, you know, like music was really his, his thing. And he kind of like uh, moved into that more. Um, So I guess his, his, his his father eventually, you know, noticed that. Um, And I didn't know this because he actually, but he actually knew Rimsky, uh, Rimsky Korsakov, who became uh, Stravinsky's uh, teacher for, basically Rinsky Korsakov's life he was all the way like he was almost ready to like get his law um law degree um but uh-huh. and like i said before um this event called bloody sunday happened so but he was basically he wasn't able to get it he only got like half a course diploma which i don't know what that means but yeah so like i said he took lessons with Rimsky Korsakov for um till till he died in 1908 so the thing that I didn't know is that there there was this uh producer or like he was called like a music empresario uh by the name of Sergei Diaghilev who was uh who had started this um ballet company called the Ballet Russe um, but he actually studied with Rimsky Korsakov as well, except he wasn't like one of the bigger um, music students. Mm-hmm. But I think that's how they met uh, Stravinsky and him. So whenever um, he moved to Paris, he wanted to, you know, get involved in obviously with like the music scene because. Um, like the art scene at the time was very flourishing and it was really big and it was really starting to go through like this change. Um, so yeah, so he got in contact with Diaghilev and um, basically was like, Hey, like help me, you know, what can I do? And so he basically got him to do three ballets. Um, the first one was the firebird, which was in 1910 um which was a very it, it was it was a pretty big success like um the people really liked it um and then the second one was petrushka which was in the the next year in 1911 and then once again that was also a very popular a very very well received ballet um and so um diagolev being you know like this producer very like i guess cunning he um, realized how these uh, Parisian Parisian um, elites kind of viewed um, Russians. They kind of saw them as these like um, 
prehistoric, like, or our primitive people. I, I I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like, how do you like to use an example? Like, I guess they were very hoity-toity. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that I think they kind of saw them as like entertainment, like because they did have like ah, their because the ballet was such a big like um art form that everybody went to yeah. go see and you know like the hottest you know whatever the hottest new ballet was is where everyone had to go of course and so um with that idea he he kind of used it as a as kind of the next step into what the next project was going to be which was the Red of Spring. But no, but but so yeah, so like I said, he he kind of thought, you know, like, oh, this is like the next step. And so he commissioned Stravinsky to do um uh the Ride of Spring. And so he basically um uh paired him up with this um this um artist, his name was uh Nicholas Rurik, and he himself was kind of like um very very like out there very like hippie-ish kind of like I, I i can't think of like a better way to explain it but like he was bohemian a bohemian there you go thank you <laughs> i even have it written down like in a few places but um but yeah he uh um he was also very knowledgeable about like old um russian history and so together they came up with the concept of what the um, of what the music should be, but also like he was also the one who um, made the costumes or like designed the costumes and designed the design designed the scenery for it. So they made the concept together. Uh, I, I, you would you would say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they really did collaborate on that okay. in in that aspect, and obviously, like they didn't want. Um, he thought that this was uh this was going to be very far from like what the other two previous um ballets were going to be so they kind of went in there knowing what the idea is like hey we're going to break some norms here like did they know i guess talking about like to the future did they know about like that that was going to be taken as it was well i i i don't i don't know about i think the one person that i I think really thought that was um, Diagolev, who like I think as a producer, like you have to think of all like I, I don't know, like they have like this mentality where like obviously they see the bigger yeah. picture through different means, like it's yeah. it, it, like um, economically and socially, blah blah blah, right? And so I, I mm-hmm. to, to be honest, I feel like he was kind of like the mastermind, and 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 at some point. It's alleged, actually. Um, it was said that he even said, "Like this is what he what he wanted." Oh, really? Out of the yeah, what 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 happened in the theater is basically what he wanted to happen because he knew it was going to be be a big uproar. Um, people would talk about it, whether it was negative or not. So yeah, I I mean, I think he thought that. I think he thought that it was going to be bigger than what that night would be i guess essentially i guess so he was already kind of taking like any sort of press as good press right approach mm-hmm. okay. yeah yeah okay cool interesting yeah interesting. yeah and like i said like that's what pro- that's really what producers do so <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good um 
so yeah, so uh, the concept of the of the ballet was a uh, was a picture of pagan uh, pagan Russian. Oh, sorry, a picture of pagan Russia in two parts depicting primitive rituals celebrating the advent of spring and the sacrifice of a young woman uh, who dances herself to death in the end. We all know it. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> you really yada yada through a lot there. I know, right? So yeah, so um, then comes in the choreographer. His name was uh, Boslav Nijinsky, who was himself a very big figure in the you know, in the dance world. Um, he he not only was a choreographer, but he also was in a lot of productions. He was known all throughout Europe. So they knew that he was the right person. And once again, like it was, they, I think they also thought that he was also going to be like very visionary. And, but I mean, they didn't really know what he was going to do. And honestly, he, him and Stravinsky kind of like, clashed a lot but i think it's uh i'm trying to remember i think it was the last episode uh how i don't know why i'm trying to connect it but basically like they're not necessarily rivals it's more of the fact that like they 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 can work together but they just don't like each other which is which is crazy to me because i mean like you'd, you'd think that you know like like-minded people would work well together but a lot of the times like that's just not the case so the Rite of Spring was premiered um, on on May twenty uh, May twenty ninth, nineteen thirteen, and the, at the uh, Théâtre de champs in Paris. And um, at the time, it's funny because they in, in a lot of places that I saw, like they kept referring to Igor Stravinsky as like a unknown, vir- virtually unknown composer. But then I thought it's like, well, he had these other two ballets before, like. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was still, like, he was pretty known. I don't know. I just kept thinking it's like, uh-huh. a, it's just a weird... Maybe he was up and coming, you know? It, maybe. Maybe I just wrote it wrong. It's like, uh... I mean, because, like, the, the Firebird Suite and Petrushka, I mean, like, that's what we know him now for, too, besides the Rite of Spring. But, yeah, those aren't exactly, you know, like, small pieces. They're, they're pretty, pretty big. But maybe that's just, like, with the power of, of, of hindsight, you know, that we now know him as this, you know, heavy hitter composer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he, he really was like, um, he really was the, uh, kind of like the face of what music was moving into. And I mean, obviously he it was yeah. like his works, but especially the, specifically the Raga Spring was like the most influential and, and like, to this day, like of course, what I didn't know is that there's a part where, like, it's kind. Of, there's um, in Star Wars where, like, Luke is like looking at the two moons and stuff, or two suns. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, the two suns. <laughs> yeah, you got it right. Yeah, uh, uh, the music in there like is um, not taken, but it's like there's a similarity between that music and then a part in the Rite of Ring, which. Mm-hmm. I, I looked it up or I I remember like what that was and it sounded familiar. And you're talking about um Luke's theme um by 
Williams fucking what the fuck is his name? John Williams? John John Williams. Yeah, I think yeah. it's Luke's team when he's looking up at like yeah, yeah, that's the name of this I the, I think. Yeah, it's yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um sorry, I, I don't know where I'm in at, at now. Oh, I got a, really ahead of myself. Um okay, yeah, so he um Stravinsky composed for this piece for a year and a half. And I don't know like what his process was, if it was very similar to this, but he basically, he went to a Swiss village called um, uh, Clarence and he like rented out a, a small apartment. I think it was like eight feet. No, I'm not going to say eight feet, but it was a small, essentially it was a small room. And there's, there's like even like a part of a documentary that I saw where like, he's back in that room and like he talks about like where the piano was and he's like really old at this point. Um, but he also goes to the theater itself. Like he's there and then he's telling like all these little girls that are like um, ballet dancers, <laughs> which is funny to me. Cause like, I don't think they would really like care or to know about it. I don't know. It's, it's just like funny. I don't know. But like he's like telling them like what happened and everything, but yeah. So, um, so the theater itself was open, um, was opened in April 2nd on 1913. So that same year. And, and, um, it was very non-traditional. Like it was not very ornate. It was, it was essentially just, a building like it was made out of concrete um uh, i think it was called i think it's like reinforced concrete um it's very simple in its architecture um and a lot of people didn't really like it <laughs> um but yeah so um that season or during uh, so around the same time like uh four four um works were being um shown in in that theater um and obviously one of them was the rite of spring um so once again i think people like um like people went in thinking oh you know like everything's you know they're just gonna see what they always see which is like pretty ballet or whatever but uh during the dress rehearsal um there was members of the press and also just like random people, you know, like that were invited to, to watch the dress rehearsal. Um, there wasn't too big of a, of a fuss or anything like people actually, I guess, enjoyed it. Um, but there was one predict that um, his name was Adolf um, uh, Basho, uh, who thought, you know, that who had thought that like there was going to be problems with it. Like he, he had, he was going to yeah. see like that there was going to be, I don't know. He, he foreshadowed. Yeah. He already was feeling like, Hey guys, I'm not sure about this. Like what the <laughs> fuck are we going to do here? Yeah. Like, well, and the, the thing too, is that, um, again, this is all alleged too, I think, but, um, like I said, Diagolev was thinking of all these things, you know, ahead of time. Um, so what he did Allegedly, he went uh, to like students, like college students, and he actually gave them um, tickets uh, so oh. that way they could go and like not not necessarily to like 
appreciate it, but they knew that like they were gonna make a ruckus, whether uh, in, in in many in in any way really. Um, so he had yeah. like he had predicted. So it was like uh, like comp ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just to to fill it out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. For the premiere, uh, yeah. And like I said, it, it, he just thought that he, it was just gonna. They were gonna be the ones to like. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but like maybe like college students would be the ones to kind of enjoy. Like so, it was like, oh, like this is like the future, or not the future, but like this is our our, our direction forward with ballet. And maybe these college students will be the ones that'll like appreciate it, kind of yeah. like getting his plants. Yeah. In, in the well, audience. Uh, well, apparently at the premiere, um, Ravel and Debussy were at oh, the premiere. Cool. Those, are, those are good gets to, um, to, to get that. I know, right? Well, and and apparently, and apparently, uh, Camille Saint-Saëns was there too. Um, but apparently, but Stravinsky said that he never actually saw him there. So everyone. <laughs> Everyone yeah. was there. Oh, I was there too. Paul yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't see me. There. Yeah, I was, was like, uh, right there. yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 they said that that <laughs> that Saint-Saëns was like um, at the beginning when the so when the fir- the the music starts, it starts off with this like really high bassoon, which um, is not. First of all, the bassoon doesn't usually get a solo, and also it's usually not playing in its high register. So, like, from the beginning, like, the criticism started. Like, oh, that's ugly. Like, what the uh, hell is that? You know? Like, just basically them going outside of the normal tradition, even within the composition. Like, compos- not including the dance. People are like, oh, like, fuck this shit. This already sounds like... Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because um, uh, the, the piece starts mm-hmm. with just the music. Like, you don't even see the dancers till, mm-hmm. like, maybe, like maybe five minutes in or however long it is. Um, so like, they're just like, it's kind of like an overture, I guess it's, but it's not really. Um, and then, you know, so by that time, like, like I said, they were still they were They were already like starting to like think like, this is not it, I guess. And, um, yeah. but once the curtain opens, that's when all hell breaks loose. Um, because mm-hmm. then you see these dancers in these like oversized, uh, this over these oversized clothing, you know, like traditionally, you know, it's like tights and tutus and blah, blah, blah. Everything's all skin tight. And then you see like these, um, these men in just like big, like shirts and like big pants, like, no- and the idea is that no skin like shows like it, it wasn't supposed to. And then. Mm-hmm. On top of that, there was like awkward poses. Um, the the dancers were like um, pigeon toed most of the time, which is like not what classical ballet, you know. So, so I guess avoiding the conventions of what would be considered, I guess in that world is, you know, quote unquote graceful. Yeah, and 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 you know, like that, like I said, it's. I think he was just trying to. I don't know. I'll, I'll anyway. <laughs> I'll keep going. But um. But well, and and I even I forgot about this. But like, so many people like had like, well, the conductor himself. His name was uh, Pierre Montu. Um, he 
he was with uh, Diaghilev whenever Stravinsky played the the piece for the first time, like on a piano. And um, mm-hmm. there's actually like a uh, it's not a series because it's just like an episode, but like there's like um like a reenactment. I I don't know. I don't even know what to call it because like I said, it's just like I mean it's acted out, but um. Like then you know uh, he starts playing it and you know the the conductor is just like hey like I don't I'm never going to conduct this like because it, it's 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 it, it can't be done basically but but obviously he ended up doing it. Um, once again Diaghilev was the one to basically convince him to do it and he wrote it for a uh, hundred musicians which also was not a traditional thing to do so i on the day of the premiere sorry i got like i said i got ahead of myself uh there's this journalist his name was gustav um uh lenore who pretty much favored this whole thing like like he was very positive throughout a bit and um and so uh so he says quote never has a hall been so full or so resplendent the stairways and the corridors uh, were crowded with specter- spectators eager to see and hear. So uh, eyewitnesses said that disturbances came uh, during the introduction, like I said. So it's whenever the first note, just as soon as the first note started, um, there's already like criticisms. The The big, the big uh, problem that people had was that um was the dancers um they just didn't like it um and then like the music on top of that um Stravinsky was sitting in the um in the audience and um so he's you know he started hearing all this stuff all the you know there was uh booing um maybe not booing I don't know but like there was uh people started yelling people started throwing things and the conductor was told not to stop, no matter what. So like he was sitting in the in the audience, and and he's telling telling this part of the story too, like in that little documentary. And he like he like starts. So he like said that he got up and he was just like, "Oh, go to hell, everyone!" <laughs> and so he went backstage. Yeah. Um. And so when he got backstage, he um saw the choreographer Nijinsky like on a chair telling or like counting people counting to the dancers because at that point um the audience was so loud that they couldn't even hear the music anymore god damn and it's got to the point where like they couldn't even hear him so he had to like get down and like stomp on the ground or on the i'm sorry on the on the stage and to just keep count of everything um and so there's a second part and so you know the the first part you know quote unquote is over um there's a little bit of a calmness and then everything starts back up again <laughs> once you know like the second part starts and all all this is like within 30 minutes uh, so it all this is cuz of the yeah exactly i was going to say this lasts like half an hour yeah well uh, uh, oh sorry go ahead sounds like uh like a show you know where 
I mean, I've never played in a show like that, but I've heard of, like, no, yeah, there, there was, like, a, a a cage thing, like, in front of the, you know, for people that throw beers. And <laughs> oh, shit yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, it sounds like one of those kinds of situations. Yeah. Well, and, and actually, people did leave, like, um, halfway through. Um, but the riot even went out into like, well, I never. <laughs> well, and the riot went out into the, into the lobby and the, and the, and allegedly, uh, the police were called to like, keep everything calm. And in that, it's another uh, higher level of pearl clutching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's funny. well, and, and that sounds hilarious, dude. I wonder what it actually looked like. You know, and like just lots of people in top hats and long ass dresses. Yeah. Well, <sighs> <laughs> well, and, and and like I've thought of it, and it's like what you know how like if I ask you like what is one like historical thing that you would want to go see or like see for yourself, like if you had one thing um, to see. I mean, I have many, but I think one of those is that that time is probably like one of the times that I would really want to see. You know what? I, I agree with you. This is a good one to choose. It's also, it's also very low stakes in, in a way of like, like, yeah, like you're not in the middle of like shooting or something or like, you know, like I want to go see, you know, yeah. Dallas 1963 or something. Um, yeah, this definitely would be a very, even the lobby of, <laughs> of this theater, seeing how people were reacting, you know? Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, the thing too is that like obviously like all these um, what's it called um, like these elites like the wealthy were obviously gonna be there, um, but also a lot of like like I said like some of the students like some some young people but also like Bohemians were encouraged to come especially as a like quote unquote protest. Towards the, mm. you know, towards the upper class and blah, blah, blah. Towards the bougie. Yeah. Um, and they loved it. Like, obviously, they were going to love it. And they're yeah. going to love to see all the, like, all these, like... All the Karens. People, yeah, all the, all the yeah. <laughs> that are going to, you know, think that they're everything. And then they just lose their shit because they, they just don't like what they hear. <laughs> So, so in a way, what was the guy's name? Diagolev. Producers, Diagolev. Diagolev. Would you say it was also kind of a, in a way him kind of like, you know, backhanding, you know, or slapping the the aristocracy or the the, the upper class people, like to be like, <laughs> oh like, yeah, that was his middle finger to them, like just like fuck you guys. Yeah, no, for sure, and, and uh, yeah, I I really I really do think so because I mean, what what else can you do? Like, I mean that that's pretty cool, and that that's like a very classy way, like. He basically got the glove and went or something. Well, and like, and like the craziest, it, it's like he he kind of did it from the inside because like obviously he yeah, yeah. he's obviously he's very he's he's well known like he he knows all the right people. This was his version of like snapping like I, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Here's like an artful <laughs> way for me to like maybe, get back at you guys. May, maybe I mean I I don't know if it's that like dramatic drastic or but. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm just putting my own like conjecture in there. You know what? Let's <laughs> let's 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 make that canon. You know, like um, <laughs> he just hated all these people. I mean, because I don't know, people suck, man. Oh, 
but <laughs> but yeah so like there was there's like i said um there's a lot of um a lot of people just yelling at the you know yelling at the musicians and at the dancers but then you know fights started breaking out um there's one there's one person that said that um the person behind them was like so excited that with with like the music that they were like banging on his like top hat oh shit well, <laughs> it's it's funny because like i i never know how this like the riot actually which i'm guessing it just fizzled out um and people just left uh but apparently um there was a sorry i have to look this up now um Basically, there was there was like two rumors or not rumors, but like basically that um, everyone like in the company, well, Diagolev and like Stravinsky and everyone that was there was um, devastated by what had happened. Um, and that was like one story. Um, but um, the other story is from like from I, I think Diagolev himself like they really just like after after that they just went and like had a celebratory dinner because like i said like it it seemed like it was all what it was supposed to be for you know just um yeah like it was supposed to happen that way um maybe that's not what (laughs) stravinsky or like nijinsky wanted but there was there was still more um it, it it played a few more times after that but even then um a few months later the uh the composition uh was performed like by itself as just like an orchestral work and people loved it and so much so much that um allegedly like uh <laughs> once it was over people like carried Stravinsky out of the out of the theater and like we're cheering, and everyone was, you know, excited. Yet his uh, his big head coach moment. Like, <laughs> yeah. The like, yeah, they tossed the wine on him. Yeah, <laughs> they tossed some wine. On him. Uh, I wonder when it turned. You know, like when it went from that to like what it is. Yeah. Now. Well, and um, and I believe that um, the that it wasn't performed again till i believe the 30s um i don't think there was any it had anything to do with like its failure you know in quotes um but um eventually it made it you know to the united states the it was performed for the first time in new york well and then I i i forgot about this but um the assistant um choreographer her name was uh marie rambert oh rambert i think i made the same mistake last time but um she i think she was the last one of the last people like to be or one of the last living people that were part of that you know uh and i think she was uh, she was one of the ones that um helped with the core because everything was i think was lost for a while and there was a student ah oh, fuck I, sh- I i forgot where i wrote it down but th- i know there was a student who um made that like her project to like get 
the choreography because um like i said uh, a lot of the notes and all there really was was just like sketches from like journalists that were there um okay but i think she got in contact with um uh the assistant um and by at that point i I mean she was she was an older lady and and yeah so she was and i think from what she could remember um she helped um do uh basically rewrite the choreography the original choreography wow and yeah basically you know like 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 i was saying before like it's such a it's such an influential um piece um especially like as a like as a wind player you you come up you come around it like at some point in your life um but i don't <laughs> personally i don't think i would ever be able to like want to play that or like be part of that because if you look at the score it's just already too stressful it's too anxiety ridden <laughs> and but yeah but despite that like personally like i think it'd be, it it was a big um moment in like where i i was like oh wow like this is really cool like i didn't know anything about it and like this was like years ago and um and i was and and i and i remembered that even you, when you when you carlos talked about frank zappa he he listened to that at some point or like he would listen to that as one of his like i guess inspirations yeah it's interesting because like i remember like first hearing about this wasn't until like college you know it wasn't like if i was a right, right you know super cultured kid or anything like that but you know first heard of stravinsky when, when i was in college and being in class hearing about this this incident and you're like yeah <laughs> and you're thinking and like in my head i'm like hey that's pretty fucking rock and roll you know that's pretty awesome like it just caused this whole thing with all the, I guess, elitist uh, people and uh, elitist Parisians, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call them. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it does have hold the special place in in music history that you're like, man, like who, who, who nobody, because I guess nobody thinks, or at least I don't, or certainly didn't think of like uh, ballet or classical music as being something that would be causing a quote unquote ruckus, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I and, and I think I think that's what everyone that loves a piece or, or or that's what they really like about it is that you know like it's not this perfect thing. Yeah. Uh, not not everyone's gonna like it, but you're gonna have. I feel like you're gonna have a bigger positive um, uh, outlook on it, and like there's gonna be more positive than negative to it. Because it's still remembered, yeah. you know. Of course, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, and one of the last things, um, Stravinsky is um, one of the two people that are in the um, whose whose um, pieces were uh, played in Fantasia and Fantasia two thousand, which I I love. Mm-hmm. I I love Fantasia. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's probably that's probably that's probably where i heard it the first time honestly and, and and i mean it had everything that i loved i mean it had dinosaurs it had creation of the world whatever you know it's yeah yeah demons and but wizards th- and mickey mouse <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Uh, no, but uh, he, yeah. So, like I said, he was his his work, his pieces were both in both movies, and um, he was actually wow. the only living composer at the time for the first one. Wow! And he hated it actually. <laughs> he didn't like it at all. No, he did not like it. Did did he hate? You know what he said, or he's just like. Well, like he this. just he did, he hated the uh, concept. He didn't like that it was dinosaurs because uh, it wasn't about that. I see. Yeah, I see. But, but yeah, I mean that. Yeah, uh, that's. I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, no he, yeah. It doesn't surprise me. I'm gonna end it on that negative note. <laughs> uh, I I um. There's a there's a YouTube clip where he talks about it, but like a section of it. I think it's a part. Well, I'm not even gonna attempt to do it because <laughs> I don't want to put myself in the spot. <laughs> but uh, that he says he showed it. I don't know if he said he showed it to to Korsakov or or one of his teachers, and they asked him, "Does it go like that for long?" And he said, and that he tells them, he tells them something like, "Yes, the whole way through, dear, well, or something like that." <laughs> it's that it's that that time where he was playing it for uh, Diaghilev. Oh, okay. Yeah, because okay. like I said, he was he was on the piano and like um, and he he's playing it, and the the thing is is that it's played in two different keys, so it's it's yeah, not yeah. you know it's it's not a not a pretty sound i guess if you want to put it that yeah if you play something like like an e it's a, e flat on top of an e or something yeah, like that uh-huh. right chord mm-hmm. and yeah yeah so he asked him that he's like um how long is this gonna go for and then he stravinsky tells him uh, till the end my dear or something like that <laughs> there we go there we go that's right that's, and that's right. just a sassy ass response <laughs> Dude, but look at in the video if you get a chance to see it, dude, like that uh-huh. takes the sass to like. To the <laughs> yeah, roof. well, I gotta check that out. I'd like to see. Yeah, that. well, and, and it's in. The, I mean, it's in that. I I think it's a very quotable thing, and like it's in that one show, or I don't know what to call it, but it's, um, it's like an episode. Um, it's called Riot at the Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it's just like the Russian, you know. Yeah, that's like the the Russian identity. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know much about it. But he also seemed very scared. I don't know why he seemed very like intimidating to me. <laughs> I don't know if I would ever want to meet him. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like I think he carries a lot of weight just because of like the reverence we give him as a, a composer, as well as like you know, what he was able to do then, yeah. you know, like, I guess if you, if, if that's one way of putting it, but I guess the reverence we give him as a composer, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it is daunting. You know, I would think it'd be like, oh shit. If I like, I'm standing here and I see Stravinsky across the street. I'm like, fuck, I don't think I'm going to approach him or anything <laughs> like that. So I, I can see where, where you're coming from. Yeah. Although, although when he, when he was older, he was like this like old little man. So I don't know. Oh, he, well, he was arrested for, um, it's a fun little thing, I guess. Um, he was arrested for um, his comp or his arrangement of the national anthem. Really? Mm-hmm. When what year was this? Um, that I I'm not sure. It must have been like sometime in the forties or the fifties. Um, okay. Because he was already living in 
uh, in the U.S., I think. Um, but yeah, he got arrested okay. for that. Um, which is funny because now... I don't know if it's still technically illegal to do that, but everyone does it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody just goes on... Well, you know what... what oh, yeah. The national anthem. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. So, yeah, that was my report. That was cool. That, that was a good little, uh, you know, a redo on, on that one. Yeah, hopefully... It, Hopefully next year I'll do better. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do it next year. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be the tradition every year to see how the right of spring uh, conversation goes. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, that was great. Great job, yeah. guys. Sorry, I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't trying to, like, pander or anything. <laughs> like, yeah. No, no, no. Um. Sorry, it's because I, w- I was looking for the, for the clip and I found it. Are you going to play it? I'm gonna send it oh. to the sh- the chat here. Nah. Yeah, I mean, do you want me to? I'll play it if you want me to. No, 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 no. Well, if I probably want me to. You... Maybe we can include the link in the description when. Oh when yeah. Post it, Mars. Like just to have uh, like oh this is the the link that Carlos was talking about. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. The video, you know. Well, that was that was fun, y'all. That was fun. Good job, guys. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting the hang of it again. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for listening, y'all. Um, we appreciate every you know, any little any listen that is listened to. <laughs> uh, is you know always always nice. Of course. Yeah. Just yeah. Thanks. I, it's I know it's been a while that you know, but you know things things in the way. I think I, I think it'll pass. What? <laughs> We're still here. We'll keep uh, creating some cool stuff, and you know, if you have suggestions, let us know. Oh yeah. We're always eager to learn more too. Oh yeah, definitely. I suggestions. I I love suggestions because I got I've gotten to a point where it's like I I've told you about my list, but now I don't I don't mm. know if I want to do any of them. <laughs> I have a couple ones that, that like I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's not that I don't want to do them. It's just that, like, I I think I said it before too. It's like the, I just have the option. I just have too many options now. Of course. So yeah. that's always a problem for me for some reason. But yeah, no. I, <laughs> but despite all that, thanks. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Um. All right. Well. Um. Have a good night, y'all. Or good morning. Good day. Bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.